Welcome to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, where we sit down and talk with strength coaches, personal trainers, nutritionalists, and other professionals in the fitness and strength and conditioning field to help athletes, parents, coaches, small business owners help level up their game to provide athletes and clients world-renowned success, either in the weight room, on the field, or on the platform. Enjoy today's episode. On episode 9 of the Thirst for More podcast, I sit down with Coach Nate Harvey, who's the Elite FTS Executive Equipment Specialist. He brings a lot of experience from the collegiate sector and tries to help bridge that gap for strength coaches, admins, uh, gym owners, and providing that education component along with their overbuilt and awesome equipment. Um, Nate was the former head strength coach of the Olympic sports section of uh, the State University at New York at Buffalo. A lot of people just know it as Buffalo. He was there for 10 years, and he's helped athletes basically just rock it in terms of their performance, um, was shot and basically making Olympic trials. He also um, helps consult with the New York Jets, so that's also something that he does at a very high level, so Nate really knows his stuff. In this episode, we kind of really go into depth about Conjugate U, which is which is his book, I'm sorry, which you can find over at EliteFTS.com. We've also got the link to it in our show notes. And uh, basically, Nate makes it a really simple way of how to use the conjugate system, uh, which is you know typically known for powerlifting, but how to use that in the athletic population and how to make your athletes bigger, faster, stronger, uh, more resilient, and just better overall athletes. He's also uh, a competitive powerlifter himself. Um, and he's hit a thousand pound squat, a 750 pound bench, and a 750 pound deadlift. Um, and he's also knowledgeable in RPR. We kind of talk a little bit about that and how he uses that with athletes. Uh, so he's got kind of his hands in a little bit of everything from equipment, athletes, writing a book, powerlifting. Um, Nate's a no BS guy, he's going to tell you how it is. And anybody that's ever watched any of Nate's stuff, uh, he's got his thing shit uh, sport coaches say, and it's absolutely hilarious. So we kind of talk about that a little bit too. Um, so his Instagram is also a really good place that you can find him. So I really enjoyed this episode with Nate. We use the conjugate system and concurrent training with the majority of our athletes in some shape or fashion. Um, and hopefully his explanation of conjugate you and everything he does with his athletes and the way he consults with people now. Um, can help rub off onto you and help make you a better coach. And if you happen to be a parent or just a casual listener, hopefully he breaks it down in simple terms so you can absorb it. And maybe if you want to learn more, you can check out his book. It's a very easy read. We're talking about you know a one-day thing. You sit down, dedicate the time, highlight it, check it out. And it's digital so you can keep it uh, on your computer, on your tablet, and you can take it with you and you know always resource, use it as a resource uh, to refer back to. So enjoy Episode 9 with Nate Harvey. Coach Harvey, how's it going, man? Good. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, I know there's some people that we've already bro- dropped your name a couple different times and some different recordings we've done, so I'm happy to get you on here and, and pick your, your brain on not only the conjugate system for athletes, but obviously what you've done at Buffalo and, um, you know, you're, you're advising with, like, the Jets, and then obviously now you're with Elite FTS with Equipment Sales, which I think you're a really good, good fit for that. So um, let's just kind of get straight to it. I, I've got your book. 
um, conjugate you. I've read it. I really like it. There's a lot of really good things and applicable pieces that I think many strength coaches can use. How did the conjugate you system kind of show up? Cause I know that, um, if you would look at like a regular West side or conjugate model, obviously you're developing this towards athletes. So it is different. It is not like you're taking the book of methods and just repurposing it. You know, you've got your own spin on stuff and you, how you've got your accessory lanes. How did that kind of come about? And, uh, how do you kind of settle on like what, when you got to that point, you're like, man, this is really, really good. I think I need to, to share this. How did all that kind of come about? Um, really kind of start like when I was playing, um, college ball, uh, I was, I played D three and like, we really didn't have a strength coach. So it was always like me and my buddies kind of trying to figure stuff out, you know, and towards my senior year, we actually kind of stumbled onto elite. Um, cause I was trying to figure out how Mike Allstott trained cause he was a, <laughs> monster you know I was like what is he doing um so that's where I first kind of stumbled on and like as soon as I started using it like I did it before my senior year and uh I had never felt that good during the season I was strong all through the season felt recovered and stuff so that I was at that point I kind of knew there was something different kind of going on you know what I mean um and then uh when I actually I started coaching um my first year I started out at UB right out of grad school and um, Julia Anto was over there yep. at the time. And then um, right when I started my, my internship, I got my internship and then the guy that I had planned to work under left. So I, that was kind of up in there for a couple of weeks. We didn't know who was going to be like our supervisor and stuff. And then uh, buddy Morris ended up getting the job. So he came in and then uh, he brought Paul Childerson at the same time. So it was kind of, that's kind of where I got the name from too. Like we would kind of joke around and say, we're conjugate you or dark side you or whatever, you know? So that's kind of, that's kind of where the title came from, but those guys were big proponents of the, of the system. And I had had experience with it before. Um, so that's like, right when I, right when I started that, that was kind of how things were. And that's, that's what I believed in anyways. So it was a really good fit. And then, um, you know, as I was kind of coaching on my own a little more, it was probably, Oh, three or four years uh, before I was done, I was like, we should like make a manual. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we started, start, we started getting kids kind of doing some things athletically that they really shouldn't have been doing. You know, like we, we were a young division one school and we were getting some really good results out of, you know, kids and, you know, we don't get the Alabama kids. Right. Yep. Um, you know, and then performances were going up, injuries were going down. I was like, we, we should put something together. Um, and then, uh, you know, towards the end, I was like, I got to sit down and kind of throw this stuff together. So that was, that was kind of how it all came together, really. That's really cool. Um, just for anyway that doesn't know, Conjugate You is a book that Nate Harvey wrote, and it's fantastic. If you train athletes, I would highly suggest it. Um, you, you may not even be able to take a lot, everything from it and implement it. You may have behind it, but I think – the overall structure and design, if you're working with athletes, especially in a team setting, there's a lot that you can take away and help benefit from that. And I know that we've already kind of talked in the past, in the previous episodes, to some coaches that have already dropped that they took stuff from Nate's stuff. So I want to get that kind of out of the way. And um, to kind of piggyback off that, when you were at Buffalo and you were you were doing this, what initially, as you were kind of designing it, were like your initial 
um, initial hurdles you kind of have to had to get over, whether that be with sport coaches or the other strength staff or um, equipment and and time. Because I think, in my opinion, I think when people think of the conscious system, they're like, I either don't have the equipment or I don't have the time. They think that it requires all these fancy barbells and setups or that, you know, the average session is going to take a minimum of 75 to 90 minutes. And obviously at the collegiate level, your time is a little bit um, crunched and conduced. But, um, you know, kind of explain how you were able to get this model into something that was time to, to be able to disprove those huge and commonalities of why they can't do do something like this. Yeah, that was um, and a lot of my I guess my programming style kind of came from the way Paul and uh, one of our other assistants would set things up. It was just very simple and like kind of bare bones. And, um, you know, Paul would talk about not training the kids so much sports specific, but just run the program to the level of lifter that they are. You know what I mean? Take the majority yeah. of your group and where the majority is, train them as hard as you can, and then the rest will kind of catch up. You know yeah. what I mean? So that, yeah. that was kind of where, you know, just so it was basically like a simplified West Side right. system. You know, you're not West Side if you're you know, not at West Side. We understand that. But um, just take that basic model and it will benefit 99% of your athletes. Right. You know what I mean? Like follow the basic template. You train a ton of hips, you train a ton of core, you train a ton of lats, a bunch of hamstrings. Those are pretty much 98% of people's weak areas. Yeah. And, and you know usually I mean? the musculature that's going to be involved in being a, a good athlete, whether you're running or jumping or throwing or hitting or, or even, even in wrestling, you know, pulling legs in and pull downs and stuff like that. Like that's a very posterior, most sports are, dominant in that posterior chain aspect anyways yeah yeah and then um and it, it was funny when early on with the rest of those guys there um there was there was some push there was probably more pushback early on than than later on i would say yeah. um for whatever reason you know i don't know if it was because it was different and the, the sport coaches didn't like it um it could have been our physical appearance you know like yeah. i <laughs> I was, I was 300 pounds and I was one of the smaller guys on staff because Paul was there, <laughs> yeah. you know, and our other guy was around 350 and then buddy, you know, wasn't that big, but looked like a fucking head of a biker gang Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. tattoos and cut off sleeves and stuff every day, you know, but, um, it, as time went on, the kids started feeling better and started doing better. And I think word kind of spread. So it, it, towards the end, you know, there's still some pushback, but it was kind of, kind of minimal. Right. But I, I would say early on there was a lot more pushback, you know, even sport coaches and kids and uh, administrators even, you know, so yeah. it, it was interesting. Yeah. So um, to, to talk a little bit more about the, the nuts and the bolts of the, the training as a whole, um, you know, you've got your separate lanes that you have. Kind of briefly explain the, the goal of each lane that you have and how you're – how you're kind of setting up a, a typical training day, so to speak. Because I think a lot of people might think, well, you know, with a regular conjugate system, you're just going to have you know, your max effort squat and accessory work and then your max effort press and your accessory work and then your dynamic work and whatever. But really when you look at your, at the, at the book, you've obviously got jumps and throws and you've got some prehab based stuff in there. And the way you guys warm up is conducive to what you're doing to the training session. It's not one of these where you're like doing a 20 minute, silly ass hip circle kind of things, you know, like you, you're actually 
you're actually not only putting in some extra volume when you warm up, but you guys are you guys are legitimately using the muscles you're going to warm up in a fashion that you're probably going to train them in, not these fancy warm up things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, the, so the lanes came from Dave. I got to give him credit for that. I'd always thought of the program that way. Like when I would sit down and want to peak them 12 weeks out or whatever, that's how I would think about it. Like I would put it up on the big board and I would go down and program through each lane. Like how do I want to direct each lane in the training? Right. And then um, Dave mentioned it one time we were on the table talk or whatever. And he goes, each thing is a lane. And I was like, that's perfect. Cause that's how I was always thought of it. I just never described it that way. Um, so like you said, you have, depending on the day you have max effort or speed lane. That's like your, your big one. And then after that is your accessory stuff, your accessory lane. Um, and we just added in, we would do like tissue prep. So whether it would be, um, you know, softball in the pecs, uh, lacrosse ball in the glutes. Um, we did a lot of body tempering. That was very popular. The kids love that. Um, you know, rolling out, whatever. That was kind of our tissue prep. And then we would do um, some kind of mobility stuff. I always liked the Dick Hartzell uh shoulder traction routine and his banded hip stuff quick and easy um wasn't really stat you know it's more dynamic movement right. type stuff so i was always a fan of that and kind of coupled that in then your next lane would be like you said uh warm-up lane um for warm-ups for most of the kids training we didn't like you said we didn't get into big dynamic warm-up sessions much and the reason was a lot of times the kid did a sh kids did a shitty job with it. Like they weren't focused, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they weren't really into it. They didn't see the point. There's a ton of coaching involved if they're actually going to do it right. Um, and they did that stuff with our sport coaches a couple times a day. Okay. You know what I mean? So yeah. I didn't see a, a point of, of doing that again for, cause it was kind of like something I thought they didn't really get a lot out of. And then we're going to throw more of it on and time restrictions. Yeah. You know, so, like, for me, like, a lower body workout, I would rather give them the option to do uh, two sets of 20 reverse hyper or back raise or clamshells or hip lift just to push some blood in there. And then maybe a couple sets of abs or a couple um, – something else for the hip, usually like a, like a band exercise, pulling the knees yep. in, something like that, just to kind of push blood to the area we're going to work. Um, after – so that was our warm-up lane. After the warm-up, we would do like our explosive lane um, would either be box jumps or med ball throws depending on the day. If it was an upper body day, we would do some sort of throw. If it was lower body, we would do some sort of jump. Um, we, towards the end, we got into a little bit of like short sprints, like maybe some, you know, five to 10, 10 yard sprints yep. okay. in that lane, kind of substitute some things in. Um, and then it was max effort or dynamic effort depending on the day and then accessory work. And then at the end, kind of do your mobility lane. So everything was kind of separated out. Gotcha. And how, um, when you guys went about like coaching that at the at the collegiate level, how um, I'm trying to think about how to best word this. How how did you go into integrating, like say a freshman, for example? You got a new kid that comes on campus, and obviously you know you got these uh, experienced kids that have been through your your program for at least a minimum of a year, sometimes a year or two. How do you go about teaching them how to come in the weight room? Did you get is that obviously some big schools will have like a freshman only lift, especially football, maybe not so much some of the other sports, but you'll know, have a freshman only where they use that as like an intro based semester of getting them into 
the the system. But you know, how do you go about introducing your your freshmen or your new kids into your your system so that whenever you were ready to slap them in with everybody else, it felt like you know they could kind of keep up and they weren't always one step behind everybody. We um we just kind of uh, kind of threw them to the lions a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the programming wasn't that different. The only the big differences we made was on Max Effort Day for probably a month or so, they would just do speed work. Okay. So instead of having them come in and do max effort squats, they would spend the first month on a rack with each other. We'd kind of separate them out, you know. Um, you know, while everyone else is doing max effort lower, you're gonna do speed sets. Okay. So that it was speed work twice a week. And then once they were on accessory work, they could hop in with the rest of the group everybody else because that stuff was you know technically less uh, demanding right so it's pretty easy to just have them jump in that's that's another thing i like about the system most of the accessory work is pretty simple right you know like i, I would always tell the kids if my fat ass can do it you can do it <laughs> you know like you can do some ghrs you can do a back extension it's not that difficult just hop on and do work really um and then bench was the same we would just have them do speed work we would let them do start doing some heavier bench um, sooner than we would lower body because they, you know, typically would pick that up sooner. Um, but we, we didn't put them right into max effort work. So it was usually like three, maybe four weeks of speed work. And then once we thought they were technically looking pretty good, you know, instead of working up to a, a true max, we would just work them up to a couple heavy doubles. Right. You know, say so go up till it feels like about an eight out of a 10, hit a couple doubles and we'll watch and then probably shut it down. And then, you know, over the course of another three weeks or so, they were usually ready to start doing some, you know, true max effort stuff. Good, good, yeah, yeah. That, um, I think whenever I talked to uh, Lucas White, because he also read your book, and we were kind of talking, he took some of your stuff and implemented it, and he had a very similar concept. I don't know if he used speed work, but I think he just had smaller, um, he would say, hey, you know, you're going to work up to a decent set of five this week, and he kind of dwindled them closer to that heavier work over the same, over the same way. And that's, 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 I like the speed work aspect of it. As you know, Dave really says, you know, you get a lot of good first repetitions, which for powerlifting is really important. But I think what they even think for the athlete is the fact that you got to get underneath the bar, set up, walk it out, squat it, re-rack it. And the, the practice of doing that gets you used to doing it so that you, you come into a routine. And um, while they're not lifters, they still want to be able to be technically proficient in what they're doing so that it's not all over the all over the place um so that that was really good the other thing is um i mean i'm i'm a box squatter i like the box squatter for anybody that doesn't really know you know go ahead and talk about the the benefits of the box squat from an athletic perspective i think powerlifting we we kind of understand the benefits in terms of like depth check and whatever but an athlete obviously has different demands they're they're training in different planes of motion than a power lifter so go ahead and explain some of the benefits of the of the box squat especially from what you've found for your years of working with athletes yeah we um we box squatted all our kids really I would say about the only times we would put a free squat in is if the if a kid that if a kid that did a good job training wanted to do them, we would let them add them in, or if a coach kind of demanded it. Um, but everybody else box squatted most of the time. Um, like for the athletes, like you you mentioned depth, yep. go into a weight room where they primarily free squat, and I'll guarantee you see most of the kids as the weights get heavier, the squats get higher, yep. Yep. and the strength coach gets more and more frustrated. You know what I mean? How much time do you want to spend yelling at your kids to squat deeper? 
So if you have the box, you're going to eliminate most of that. Um, it's easier for them to learn. It's easier for them to recover from. Um, and that's – with some coaches, that was a hurdle. You would try to sell them on box squat. Well, they're going to be a more recovered coach, and they're going to be able to practice harder. And, well, we need to work harder in the weight room. I don't want, I don't want to hear that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that can actually, that can actually be a hurdle. you got to know who you're talking to. Um, you know, they got to go do practice and everything all week. You don't, you don't need, you don't need them trashed all week from one leg workout. Right. And they'll, they'll still get strong. You're still going to get all the benefits you would from a free squat. You know, it's like you said, they're not power lifters. Why are, why are you so concerned about the free squat? Um, the recovery, it's easier to teach. You, you will, you'll save yourself a ton of headaches. That, that was a big thing, especially if you're in group settings. It's, yeah. it's so much easier to teach. Um, you can actually – it actually will build hip mobility. Um, most kids aren't used to putting their feet out that wide. Right. So if you, if you put that in, we would, a lot of times you'd see the kids come in tight groins and stuff or adductors, hip flexors, kind of all that area. Box squatting, if done correctly, will help with that. Um, to me, if you're, if you're box squatting correctly, you'll help develop first step strength or speed which all coaches want and lateral force production. Cause if you do it right, when you go to stand up, you're driving laterally out on your foot. Yep. So it kind of takes care of all that stuff. Like we, we hardly ever trained like agility drills and our kids got better in all their agility tests. Yeah. That's right I, I think that was a big reason why, you know what I mean? Yeah. We, I know that, um, from, from a, a semi-private model where we are, we use the box squat a lot. And, and for any of our kids that are eighth grade and under, when we're teaching them how to squat, that's what we do. When we teach them how to goblet squat, we box squat them first. And then mm -hmm. we take it away. And then whenever they – if they're old enough to be able to use a, a, a barbell, because we won't let a seventh grader under use a barbell in our gym. We just use sandbags and heavy med balls and heavy kettlebells um, just to be on the safer side of things. As they hit that mm -hmm. maturity step, we kind of let them – really earn the right to use the barbell. You know, they got to squat the 45 pound dumbbell for a minimum of 10 times. And uh, it's got to be technically proficient. So if it doesn't look good. It doesn't matter if you got it 10 times, it looks like garbage. You got to stay there and, and get it right. Um, but I, I know that initially some people were kind of, every kid that comes in is like, man, I, you know, they say, well, I learned that when we did box squats, they just tap and go, <laughs> you know, I just I put tap it with my butt and go back up. And I said, no, I said, we're actually going to sit on the box. We're going to relax our hip flexors. You know, we're going to push out into the side of the floor. We're going to have our head back in the bar into the kettlebell or the, the, the bar, whatever we got implement we're using. And they, um, they're like, man, that's a lot harder. And I'm like, yeah, well, get, go wait till you see what happens when it comes to producing speed and, like you said, lateral acceleration or, uh, you know, if you're a baseball player and you pitch, that, that's a really good thing, pushing off that mound. You know, all that stuff will help you be a better athlete. And, it, it, you know, it might knock your weights down for a little bit. Just deal with that. That's all right. What you squat to me doesn't matter that much so long as we can get you the improvements. You know, I know I'll get you stronger if you just be patient with it. So we had to, we had to break that down for some of our kids, which was a, a little bit frustrating, fixing, <laughs> fixing issues. Um, as I'm sure you know, getting kids that come in from high school, and it's probably even way worse than probably than what I get. Um, so, and even parents are like, you know, they're always box squatting. And I'm like, hey, you know, I just – I don't really see a need that we need to free squat all that often. It's just not – you know, it, it it's not – it's not that the free squat's bad. It's just like, like you said, the recoverability is better. We can get the feet wider. It just, to me, it has more sport application 
And usually whenever I say that to a parent, they're kind of like, oh, all right. And then, you know, they're throwing harder and learning faster. Usually they kind of just stop by, by that point. They believe me, but it is a hard initial. So like you said, um, yeah. I guess the, the other uh, kind of thing with this is like with the, um, so you obviously got your, your regular max effort, max effort and dynamic effort. What, um, what do you say are your, your go-to exercises for each of your max efforts for the upper and lower? What have you found to be really good, either like indicator max effort stuff? So if you see like, you know, maybe certain, certain sports or seeing certain lifts transfer over, maybe better, you're seeing massive jumps. Cause I know I've seen, I don't know if it was a video or all I know is you had a volleyball player that was doing like a low pin pull and, and, and her, she was in the mid threes. And I was just like, my gosh, like that's super impressive for a, a female volleyball player at, at any age in, in, in the game. Um, so yeah, what kind of, what kind of max effort rotations do you like seeing that you've seen to be more beneficial than others? Um, specific movements weren't really that important to be honest. Um, when I uh, used Donnie's squat program, I started using a lot more accommodating resistance on max effort days too. Um, like in the past, we would, we would usually use it on speed days, uh, but with his program, you'd put it on your max effort stuff too. So we just scaled it down. That seemed to really kind of give everybody a boost. Okay. Um, and probably looking back, um, I, did, I did make a mistake where we would – have the kids squat wide all the time on max effort. That's probably something I should have mentioned earlier too. Um, so we, so we would kind of like rotate like one or two weeks of a wide stance, accommodating resistance box squat. Um, and then throw a pull in there, like maybe every third week or so. And then also do a close stance box squat within each month. Okay. You know what I mean? You can kind of mess around with that stuff however you want, but, uh, when kids were the healthiest and feeling best, those were, that was kind of probably the rotation we were doing. So we would deadlift once a month, um, heavy, uh, do a close stance. And then the other two weeks were like a traditional wide stance with accommodating resistance. Okay. The, 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 like to me, the exercise really doesn't matter. It's just kind of getting that variance in there Okay. and kind of rotating through, um, for upper body, uh, we seem to have the most success with like a, a floor press variation, um, a full range movement that was kind of like, uh, would cut their ego down a little bit. Something okay. they kind of suck at usually an incline press, something like that. Um, after that we would do a partial range okay. and then try to throw them a bone and let them do like a reverse band once a month. Okay, that's cool. Um, and I actually think I stole that from Wenning. I, th he, I think he wrote an article years back that I saw um, probably in Mark Bell's magazine. I think that's where I got that kind of wrote. You know, not exactly, but it was like full partial floor press, reverse band. Um, and same with that. Like as soon as, we, as soon as they're technically proficient, we would start putting accommodating resistance on. Yeah, I, I want to say I read something similar to that with a – a three-week wave. I don't know where. I'm sure it was on Elite FTS at some point. Where your your week one, you use like you said a a variation of 
something that you suck at that's biomechanically harder, like incline or, or close grip or, or something like that. And then week two, you go with a, they went with an overload. So like you say, you use the bands or the board, something to, to jolt the nervous yeah. system. And then on week three, you go back to either your, in terms of power perspective, like your competition lift, or if you want to go to like your main bread and butter, you know, in your case, like a box squat, I mean, you just go to your regular box squat and hit that. And then you could rotate back to a different one, different one. Um, so, so to speak. So that's, that's very interesting. There's a little bit of commonality there, a little bit different ways, but obviously that you're ending kind of using that, that high CNS jolt um, to, to kind of get some benefit from your, your other stuff. So with, I guess with that said, when it comes to, um, let's say peaking your athletes, there's obviously, it's obviously a little bit harder to do with uh, like basketball with how random their schedule is and, and wrestling where their schedules are kind of all over the place. So I guess um, I know you've had definitely some really good success with the, the track and field based stuff. And, and obviously those are a little bit easier to kind of like peak for, cause you know, when your conferences and then you know how to, when NCAAs are going to be in, obviously that's when you want to run your best, you know, you, you want to have those best times as long as you can qualify for what you need to qualify for. That's when you're going to put your bread in one basket. So to speak, how do you go about uh, peaking your athletes with this particular system versus, you know, like you say the, the average program that's got block or whatever is obviously going to, you know, try to put more of a power phase, obviously with conjugate, you're training everything year round. How do you go about peaking your kids with this particular system? Um, so we would like for the track kids or swimming or those types of things, like you mentioned, we knew when they're big, for the most part, we knew when their big meet was, you know, if, if you got a kid that made it a little further than he thought, you could always kind of carry the peak out. Yeah, I thought you could always kind of ride the wave a little bit. Um, and then for like your team sports, it was it was really the same. It was just so for the team sports, we would kind of ride that wave too a little bit, like the kid who maybe advances a little further than you thought. Yeah. Um, but so like for a team sport, most of the time with us, it was, um, you know, they would make it to the conference tournament. That was kind of what our we were peaking for. And then, like I said, we kind of ride it. Um, but like I took, I just took the circumax phase, and that was our big thing. Like three weeks out, we would hit. Um, I'd give them uh, almost a little more than, no, not quite double band tension. So like, let's say a kid was, let's say they were doing for most of the year, they were using average bands. Okay. So like we would run a, a circumax day about three weeks out. Um, so if they were using average, we would go. I think two. I think we would double it. I have this written down somewhere. I'm, okay. I'm screwing it up. Um, but uh, we'd crank their band tension up, basically, and let them work up to a one, close to a one rep max, depending on the level of the kid. Um, work up, make them strain a little bit. And then from that, those three weeks out, then we would taper down towards their, their competition. So, like, week one would be the circa max. Week two would be 40% um, of that, what they got on the bar with the same band tension. Okay. Um, and then the next week would be almost, you would almost put you on competition week or right before it. That week we would go 30% of what they got on that max day plus all the band, normal band tension that they had. Okay. So we were trying to crank their nervous system up three weeks out and then in my mind kind of transition it to speed work. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, that's, that's, that's really interesting. That, that, yeah, that definitely reminds me a lot of the, the Circa Max stuff i think obviously powerlifting is a little bit less progressive of a drop because you got to peak a little bit further out but um yeah that's really good i like that and it, so like the team sports 
uh, the start of playoffs would be what we were peaking for. And then we would just, as long as they made it in the playoffs, we would um, stick around 30% and all that band tension and kind of ride it out through playoffs. Cool. And just kind of focus on speed and keep the strength with your accessory work. Right, right. Um, and you kind of, um, I, I guess I want to make this really clear. Whenever, um, I think some people that maybe listen to this, they, they know the conjure says we got we to kind of clarify this, that the, the max effort work in terms of working up, um, obviously I know that you personally are not letting them get to the point where lifts are looking absolutely atrocious in terms of this max effort stuff. There is a bit of a technical aspect of it, of it too. We're not trying to have these look, it's even, even in powerlifting, you see that problem. People do a max effort and I see these, like these, like a safety bar squat and they look like their heads about to touch their knees. And I'm like, you probably should have shut that down a quarter before you, you took that, like you, you built, you're building bad neurological patterns that you're reinforcing underneath a maximum load that is not good. And you're going to wonder why your quote unquote mid back is always weak. Maybe it's just because you're not training it statically in a good position frequently enough (laughs) to maintain it and you keep (laughs) treating it to be pitched over. So I guess, um, how do you go about relating that with the kids um because obviously these are 18 22 23 year old kids how do you go about explaining to them what you're looking for in terms of we we talk about grinding but um a a kid may mistake how you necessarily use that that word how do you go about conveying that hey we want to strain but we don't want to you know look awful yeah yeah so that's a good clarification we wouldn't let them if they if it started to break down technically they were done um, you know, they would kind of pick on me because I would say, shut it down, you're done. Yeah. So that was, it was like, kind of became a catchphrase, like, you're done. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they just, they just have to know from the beginning, like, listen, if this isn't technically good, we're not going heavier. There, there's no point. And like you said, it's just, it's going to do more harm than good. Um, and that was, you know, that's another thing kind of bringing kids in and, and working them into max effort work. If, if they're not technically – we're not going to make them strain. We're just going to, you know, like almost like an RPE. Like yeah. go up till an eight out, of a, uh, 8 out of 10, hit a couple sets, and then cut it. Then you're good. And then as it gets stronger, it'll get better. You just kind of slowly creep it up. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah, they, they got – you know, you, and you'll get a little bit of pushback. But that's good, too, because that's a good problem to have, I think. They want to compete and do more weight. That's fine. But they, they just have to know that, you know, we're not doing it today. Right, right. Um, in terms of the uh, the I think I want to word this the the dynamic effort. Are you? Um, I would say most people are probably gonna most universities probably have enough racks that could definitely implement this. Are you kind of using like a a you go I go system? Do you like having it where you got them like on the clock? So you know you got eight racks and you're like first man up pitcher you know, you're doubled your three and then you're like, you know, next man up, next man up. Or do you, do you prefer to let the kids auto regulate that b- between themselves? Cause I, I know personally that whenever I control my rest periods on my dynamic effort work, not only is it usually a better training session versus if I don't do that, but I'm more, I'm more physically focused on the, 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 the actual stuff I'm supposed to be doing where, like I said, if I, if I don't have it timed, my mind might start to wander somewhere that I'm, that I'm like, Oh crap, it's probably been, you know, a minute and a half, I need to go again. It's been well underneath past my 60 seconds. How do you control that in a team setting? 
we we just uh, had them go one after the other, kind of run it like a pit crew. Okay. You know, lift, change the weight, go, lift, change the weight, go, and just kind of keep an eye on them and make sure they were were on task. Um, and a lot of a lot of that's up to the coach. Um, like just my brain, the way it works, I I was terrible at running circuits. I was terrible. Like like if I would have ran the the dynamic stuff on a clock, it would have drove me nuts <laughs> because I I know I'd be sitting there looking at the clock and waiting for the kid to, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I just kind of, you know, we tried to spend a lot of time in the beginning teaching and then hopefully not have to run it so strict, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it seemed to work out okay, but, but I, you know, if you're somebody who's more organized and likes to have things on that, that'll work too. You know what I mean? Both ways will work. It's just kind of what's best for your population and, you know, like for me, it was for my own mental sanity, I guess. But, yeah. um, you know, they always did a pretty good job. Um, I guess a good question that I've got for you, at least for myself, I'm sure there's other people that will listen to this that are in the semi-private sector. How do you, if you were somebody like say in my shoes and I, you know, I've got, we have multiple kids in the facility with multiple coaches on the, on the floor. So it's not exactly, it, it's ran like a college weight room just with younger kids. Um, how would you go about um, implementing this with, let's say, 15-year-olds and up? Or let's say even for, like, the high school coaches that might be listening because they're like, you know, I got these immature 15-year-old kids. I don't think they can, um, they can quite do this to the proficiency that I think they can. And I'll go ahead and say that we have some 14, 15, 16-year-old kids where I initially thought that now they've been around long enough. I'm like, okay, these kids have now gotten a little strong. And we can start doing – I let them start to use a little bit of bands here and there. Like you said, when they're, when they're trying to peak towards the season, we start throwing some bands on the squat bar for their heavy stuff and then and they yank it off. Or we would we would drive in more dynamic effort work and, you know, pair that with some jumps um, for them to kind of feel that extra pop from the over-speed eccentrics. Um, how would you – Because and I'll also say this, that – from a pricing structure, getting four kids in is probably just too expensive for most kids. Um, the two and three day a week is definitely way more affordable and more realistic, even from a time perspective. Um, how would you go around doing that with like a, a, in a semi-private or even a private uh, um, level? Are you going to, you know, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind, I guess I should say, is that you have, you alternate between lower and upper and you just kind of go through. So you get, um, you know, your three weeks basically done in four weeks, the way that it's set up. Um, but, um, what, what would you do? Let's say if you were, you were in those shoes in the, in the private sector coaching like that. Yeah, that's tough. Um, we, so we had teams that would train three days a week just because of their schedules or whatever. Um, and early on we would run it. So like day one would be heavy lower day two, heavy upper. And then day three would be a combo speed day. Um, I don't like that, but that's what we had to do because they had to be ready to go for other things on the weekend. So we got the heavy lower done early in the week. Um, later on, we figured out kind of like what you talked about, just hit whatever day they're on, on the four day template. Um, so it's like the three weeks takes four weeks to do. And that, that actually worked better. Um, they seem to, I don't, I don't know why they seem to, you know, to me, it kind of spaced the program out. So maybe let them recover a little better. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but they seem to do better with that. And you can even, you know, you can adjust it. There's a, that's what's, that's what I really like about it. You can make a lot of changes and still not screw the system up 
you know. So, like, for you, you have kids who probably have kind of spotty attendance just because of their schedule and stuff. Yep. Like, for us, it was us having to adjust to the sport coach kicking the shit out of them all the time. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, if they were smoked, instead of doing max effort lower that day, we can throw some speed sets in there and then accessory work, and they're still going to, you know, that gives them a little more chance to recover, and they're still going to get stronger from that. You know what I mean? Their their training age is so low, you know, you can do it that way. And you you could even do, like, um, instead of doing all your speed work, you can do four speed sets and then two workup sets and then your accessory work. You know what I mean? So it's kind of – Really, there's there's a ton of different ways you can kind of adjust it on the fly, and and they'll still do well. Right. Um, something else, I you know whenever I um, interned at Purdue, they were using some of that conjugate stuff, and they were also um, using some Olympic lift variants. What? Um, how much did you use those in in your system when you were coaching? And if let's say if you didn't use them at all. Um, or if you were, you know, saying, ah, I don't think we need to do this. We can benefit from other things. Where would you, let's say we've got, um, cause let's face it. Some sport coaches are like, no, we got to clean. The clean has to be in the program, figure out a way to make it work. Where would you recommend that coaches put that if they're either in that situation or if they are, they have more of an Olympic background. They're like, I want to see if I can make this fit. What from your experience, what has worked, what hasn't worked and what would you recommend? Um, I would put it in before – I would put it in on your dynamic lower day and put it in before your speed squats. That's that's where we put it in. It seemed, it seemed to work. Um, you know, and I just thought about if I was still doing that shit, where would I want to put it in? You know, yeah. I wouldn't want to do it after speed squats because I'm going to be a little fatigued. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to want more of my wits about me to kind of think my way through those more complex lifts. Yeah. Um, and it's not – most people aren't using so much weight on it that they're going to be, you know, dead after their Olympic variation where they can't go speed squat. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that, that was kind of where we put it in. I would definitely say that, it, at least from what I can think of, that the two biggest sports that would the probably see the clean in are football and then throwers for track and field or even just track and field in general. And those are obviously – two sports that usually where the sport coach has a lot of say in what they're going to try to do. You know, the benefit with football is they're usually like, Hey, here's, here's the coaches who I'm bringing in and who I want. And so that's, I guess a little bit better, but track and field, even here, um, I, I realized whenever I interned at Indiana state that the, the throwers tried to implement their own strength and conditioning program outside of the, this was you know years ago, maybe it's different now. And I was like, man, that would be, rough if you wouldn't want to try to do something like that and they're they're trying to get the clean in and that's I think that's where we primarily had it whenever I interned at Purdue as well I want to say it was on the dynamic effort day and then even on the dynamic upper day I think what they did before they speed benched they used some um they used some light push jerks with dumbbells to kind of get going and then they ran into their 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 speed bench after that now that I kind of think about it so that's um really good I'm sure there's some people that would wonder about that um, when I know you got your, um, RPR certification with, uh, with JL and, uh, I hope in the future I can eventually go do that and learn that from him. All this coronavirus stuff has just kind of made everything crazy. Um, how has, were, were you, I guess, how was, how has, uh, RPR helped you as a coach, 
um, in terms of with your athletes. I think some people might see it and they're like, oh, they're just, you know, kind of rubbing on their bodies. That looks really weird. Kind of give us just some brief background of how that's helped your athletes out. We, um, we actually, I was in the process of getting, putting it in on a large scale and it's, it's tricky in New York state. And at the time when I learned the system, um, it was, uh, it wasn't so heavily self-administered, administered. It was, um, where you would have your athletic trainers that the thought was have your athletic trainers or somebody had to do like a hard reset, like right. someone else had to do it to you. Uh, and then you were good for, you know, four, six, eight weeks and you could do it on yourself in the meantime. So I was, <clears throat> you know, kind of trying to figure out how we were going to put it in. And like I was saying before too, in New York state, it's tough, uh, with regulations. Um, just like if I'm not an athletic trainer, I shouldn't be putting my hands on a kid. Right. You know what I mean? So we really didn't get to put it in a large scale. Um, it's helped me out a lot. Uh, I feel better when I do it. I noticed a big difference the first, like when I went to the certification Yeah. within the, the first two days, I was like, holy, something is definitely different and I feel better. I'm moving better. Um, I did get to do it with a, with a few kids while I was at UB. Um, we had a couple, couple special cases where just whatever the kid was doing with the trainers and stuff, they were still having lingering problems. Um, and not to say it's a cure all or, you know, but, um, we would uh, we set it up where I could run them through the resets, but the trainer was there to watch and kind of monitor and see, you know, what was going on. And the kids that we, you know, implemented it with said it said it made a difference. So, cool. Um, something else that that really piques my interest. I know that you're with Elite FTS and selling equipment, and this kind of got to um, kind of got me thinking initially when I first seen all your stuff, because I saw whenever you, whenever you were coaching, you'd post your own videos and you're squatting in a monolith. Kind of, how did you go about getting some monoliths in a collegiate weight room? I, <laughs> uh, yeah, we had one left over uh, from when Buddy and Paul were there. And, you know, of course, when uh, new coaches came in, they didn't want it in their weight room. So I took it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we had one and then, um, when I, uh, when I got the head Olympic job, I got to redo the room. And, uh, so I knew like, and we, like, we had a lot of, when we had one, we had a lot of kids using it. You know what I mean? So I said, well, let's get another one. And honestly, like, I've thought about this before. Why don't like, why don't we see more in college? You can run, you can run eight kids through that thing who are all varying heights and different weights and get through a speed. You know what I mean? You can yeah. get, run them through and be very proficient, very yes. efficient. Yes. Yeah. That's, you know what I, that's my biggest, that's the number one thing I like about it is the fact that just, if you want to turn, I mean, and, and I experienced this firsthand because I'm, everyone knows I'm short, I'm five one. I can't squat with anybody unless if I have a monolith. Otherwise I have, I have to have my own rack. So just the fact that I can go with me and then I can squat with my training partner that's five eight and another one six foot and then back down to five seven like that's just like you said it's just really efficient and I know it may not be sexy in a weight room I guess but yeah it's always kind of make me wonder too to an extent why you don't see see more of them but I I obviously like the fact that I saw whenever I saw your stuff that you were being able to do that so um, that's kind of cool yeah um, it was it, you know we just taught everybody how to use it. it was you know anybody could use it as long as they knew how and then they're just rolling through yeah um 
And then one of, one of the last things I want to get to talking about, I know anyone that follows you on your social media pages um, loves the shit sport coaches say. Um, that's, that's not only are they really relatable and anybody that's been in the field definitely knows like, yep, yep, I've heard that one or yep, I've heard that one. But what kind of, um, I guess, sparked that? And uh, obviously the experience sparked it a little bit, but I guess – being able to mix those together and, and kind of give that. Cause I do think that um, sometimes sport coaches just aren't educated enough. Let's be honest. They, they, they want what's best for their kids and they're just kind of going what they know. So part of our job is to try to help educate them. But I guess also um, kind of just talk about that whole little kind of saga that you have and, and what kind of, I guess, grind your gears with all that and get, and get some good content out that way. Um, it, there was kind of a couple things, you know, um, the, the, the biggest thing was, I can't remember who I was talking to, but they were like, you know, go to any coaches convention and like three things you'll hear people talking about because strength coaches are generally a pretty grumpy group of people. <laughs> <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> they're probably going to be complaining about their sport coaches, their administrators or their kids. You know what I mean? Yep. So, and at, at the same time, you know, it was, it was kind of a way for me to maybe talk a little bit of shit about some of the best people I had to work with. Right. <laughs> it's a chance for me to get a little dig in, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it's like you said, we've all heard that before. And then, you know, like with the private sector, you guys have heard that stuff. Like yep. You hear it from the parents, you know what I mean? So it, it was, you know, just kind of way to, you know, get some humor out there, I guess. Yeah. We, I would say that mostly we, we don't even because we do get hear some stuff well we hear stuff from the sport coaches that we hear from our parents usually the nice thing about us the parents probably believe what we do otherwise they wouldn't drop the the money to put their kids in it right um, but you know they say you know so and so coach says that this isn't good and it's like you know so and so doesn't have your kid doing any kind of eccentric hamstring work hamstring work whatsoever that concerns me significantly more than the fact that they don't like that, that they don't like that we're box squatting that I, I don't really care about that I I, I kind of know my training I'm going to stick what I believe in and you know I'm not I'm not going out on the track field or the basketball court trying to show you how to you know dribble or be faster out of the out of the gate whenever you're running so that's just kind of the stay in your lane kind of thing um, and let's try to work together and help each other out because we should want the same goal, which is to give the kid the best chance for success, regardless of what that is. And as long as we know what, what we know and we know what we don't know, I think that that relationship works better. But um, I highly suggest if anyone's not seeing your videos on Instagram to go watch them because if you got any strength and conditioning education at all, they're, they're good laughs every single day. Um, <laughs> the, the last thing I want to talk to you about is the, um, equipment work at Elite FTS. I know you're helping them with um, all their equipment stuff and trying to get more Elite FTS-based equipment in, in facilities. Um, call me biased, but my entire gym is pretty much outfit with Elite FTS-based stuff from racks to benches to monoliths to bars to um, uh, glue ham raises and, and all that kind of stuff. Tons of bands. Any of our kids that use our bands, all our bands come from Elite FTS. Um, kind of just talk about your role with elite FTS and how being a strength coach helps give you that extra edge compared to, let's say some of the other equipment based companies that are trying to help outfit gyms as well. 
Well, that like, so when I was, I mean, obviously we, we talked about, I was reading elite back in 2000, um, you know, and then like when I got the chance to redo the room, um, it was just, it was obvious I was going to go with elite just because the experience and like the, the knowledge that goes into the development of the equipment. I like, I knew that people that train the same way I do, or like Dave says, training's a top four priority in your life. Those are the people designing the equipment, not people who are trying to make up foo-foo exercises and all this other stuff. Like all this stuff is designed and, and made to work with like the strongest athletes in the world. So like when I got to buy the weight room, I knew who I was going with. And it, it was funny being a New York state school. There's like certain state contracts and stuff that other vendors will have yeah. with, with the school. So I was, uh, I actually had to like fight to get elite stuff in there, even though our stuff was, had just as many or more features than the other guys and was still cheaper. Right. Yeah, like I had to write up a big, you know, justification of why I wanted these racks and why I wanted, you know, these benches and it it was it was crazy. So, you know, that's you know, like when I had a blank check, I went with Elite. So yeah. it, it's yeah. cool. You know, I, I got I got very lucky to end up where I did, to be honest. Yeah. Um and anybody that doesn't know about Elite FTS equipment or hasn't used it, I I think um, once you kind of use it, you kind of get it. And it's, um, let's be honest that the, that the, in terms of the grade, like it's, it is the, you know, the Lamborghini of your squat racks and your benches and it's, it's nice stuff. It's going to last forever. Mm -hmm. And you can ask anybody, the monolith that's in my gym, I've had for four or five years, never replaced a single thing on it. Same thing with my collegiate rack that's in my gym. It started in my garage and it's six or seven years old and it still looks beautiful. Obviously there's, you know, a little bit of scrapes and stuff cause it actually gets used. It doesn't just look pretty. It sees it, it, it sees some wear and tear, but um, you know, there's nothing destroyed and the, and the color, the colors to pop all the cost customization that they do. Um, they, they do a really good job and Matt has always taken really good care of me. Um, and so that's usually why I recommend them more than anything else. And like you said, the, the whole live, learn, pass on, and then it, that being a top four priority in your life, that's, uh, a really good thing to see. So I, I try to help Dave out with that as much as I can, just cause I know it's, it's in my gym and I've been in facilities that have it. And, um, it, you look at some of these high schools too, that are, you guys are starting to outfit and it's just like, man, not only, I guess it's another good, t good topic is that that equipment, especially at that kind of level from a team perspective, gets a lot of, gets kids hype. I mean, the football kids love when they walk in, they see a weight room and it's just like, we might, we may not think it's decked out, but they see all these colors pop and they've got these safety bars and box squat boxes going with it. And they've got their team logos on the, the, the side and the banners. Um, everything looks crisp and sharp that that can rejuvenate a team mentally, because if you've got a rough season and you got some rough looking weight room and that there's no umph in the air, so to speak, that's a one way you can kind of get that buy-in from those kids. Um, and I, I didn't really think that either. And as a gym owner, like, I pride myself in saying that we got the best damn equipment in my area. You're not going to find anybody with better equipment than my gym. And, and if you do, I'm going to be very, very impressed because you must be hiding 
Um, that's usually what people come to us for is the coaching atmosphere and they're like, you know what, there's real bars because guess what? The owner's a, a power lifter and a strength coach. He knows what's good. He's not going to buy garbage because he's going to train on it. So um, I, I kind of wish that a little bit more thought process, I guess, would go behind that as well, behind the scenes um, that people thought about that way, not just what was necessarily the, the cheapest. They're going to save you a couple bucks. Think about the long-term in, investment, which you kind of talked about with uh, Elite FTS. Yeah, it's uh, I. You mentioned high school. I th- I think we can make a a really big impact in that, like the high school market. I think, um, like you talked about our quality and like our price points. If you look at a lot of the other companies, we're actually lower than a lot of a lot of competitors out there. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's uh, I think uh, like colleges and stuff are cool. Obviously, like we can do pro teams and that. But like you talked about those kids coming in, like I didn't have a weight room growing up. We had I had uh, I had to go get a. My dad got me uh, like it was an Olympic tenth grade. I finally got the Olympic thing, but like there was no weight room in our school. Like I was the only kid that lifted weights. Like I didn't have this stuff, you know. So I think that's kind of you know the high schools are kind of cool for me to do and get involved with and try to try to help out there. Yeah, and I, I guess another thing that you brought up too is also the fact that um, Elite FTS does a good job of giving that back with their sports performance summits that they do. If anyone's been to any of those and see what those lineups look up, look like. I know the last one I went to, I don't know, had, I don't know, had how many NFL strength coaches. There was um, Joe Kin and Milo and Umi and um, there might have even been one more there for I think who it was. Um, Oh, what, uh, what's his name from the Jets? Um, well, he was with the Jets. I'm not sure if he's with the Jets anymore or not. Justice? Yes, yeah. Yeah, he's still yeah. there, yep. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, that that goes to show a lot, too, that that um, Elite FTS is really good about, while they obviously got to sell um, equipment to an extent, but they also take these really high-end professionals that Dave's had not only a good relationship with, but even, some of them even were – providers to elite FTS in terms of content, whether it be articles or Q and A's and things like that. And they kind of give that back to the community. And I think that's a very, another unique aspect to elite FTS as a whole. You kind of think about if you want to kind of, especially if you're a coach and you're kind of backtrack and you're like, you know, I want to give thanks for stuff. Like go kind of dig through how many elite FTS articles you've read through your life or, you know, your mentorship. And you can probably track down with your mentorship, how many people came from the, like you said, um, either the Joe Ken tree or they came down from the Buddy Morris tree. Um, some of those guys have been, <laughs> been coaching so long that they might actually be able to retire from strength and conditioning, which is pretty rare in <laughs> of itself. Um, I think that says a lot. So um, I guess uh, if you got anything else you want to add, definitely feel free to do it. I know we talked about a lot of really good information um, and you've got a lot of different experiences and different, different settings and doing different things with different athletes. If you've got anything else you want to add, definitely feel free to do so. I think I'm good. I, I like how you talk about um, kind of the people we have, you know, that's um, not only like to me, it's important to get good equipment out, but like, you know, the the information we can get schools to, and, and I'm trying to help, you know, like high schools get better coaching. You know, if, like if I, like, if a coach wants, I'll write them their peaking program, whatever, you know, and if I can't answer it, you know, just look at the, that's, what's cool to me. Like the network that we have that we can provide to these, these coaches to help out. You know what I mean? There's, it's crazy. The amount of, you know, the, the, the reach that we we can, 
can use to get information out is yeah. is and, pretty cool. And most of the people at a leader, you just, like you just said, just give that away for free nine times out of 10. Like, you know, here's my cell phone number, give me a call. And I, I tell people that in my gym all the time too. And if you need something, just give me a call. Like I'm not, I'm not going to bill you for some programming questions that help. That's not, that's not the way somebody taught me what I know for free. So it's kind of my job to do the same thing, to teach you something back for free. I can't monopolize and make a penny off of every, you know, piece of knowledge that I have. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. There's a difference yep. between actually wanting to hire somebody for help and just having like genuine questions about, like, you know, I got nowhere else to go. Can you point me in the right direction or give me some resources to, to mull over or a book to borrow to read on that. And that's um, like, we got your, we got your ebook printed off in a, in a binder in our gym so that our interns or staff or anybody wants to read it, like, Hey, take it, absorb it, get what you can out of it and just bring it back. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's free knowledge. It's out there. It's not that we don't, um, you know, we don't want to like hide it, so, so to speak. Like, you know, right. I, I need that to be a better coach. So I might as well at least say, hey, intern, if you want to read this, read it. Tell me what you think about it and let's talk about it um, so that you could, you might be in my shoes one day where you've got to refer somebody to that resource. And if you've read it, that puts you in a better position down the long run. So um, I guess that's all I've got, Nate. I, I appreciate your time. You're super knowledgeable. Um, it's obviously been kind of a bummer with the whole COVID stuff that we did. I, mean, I know elite's trying to get some of us together um, here in the near future and who knows when that's going to happen now. Um, but hopefully it's sooner rather than later. Um, I, I will have all your information in our show notes for people to check out um, and how to get a hold of you if they want to make those kind of equipment purchases or look at customizations, all that kind of stuff. Um, I highly recommend people do that as well. You guys got, like I said, amazing equipment and some really cool options for what you guys can do. Um, and, and other people should know that if you shop on Alita TS, just because it's not necessarily up or you see it, see a price, so to speak, like if you're looking to outfit your weight room, they're, they're going to work with you. Um, so definitely keep that in mind. I, I don't see any, any benefit from that at all as a, as a sponsored lifter and calmness with Alita FTS. Um, Anyway, that knows that I've been with Elite FTS for a while, <clears throat> so I might seem biased, but I don't get anything in return. Zip zero notch. I just get some some t-shirts and rip straps when I when I walk them. Um, <laughs> but um, Nate, I appreciate your time. Um, hopefully, I get to see you again soon, and keep up the good work, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Take care. All right. You too. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More podcast. Give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, Google, and other streaming services. Feel free to visit our website, thirstgym.com. That's T-H-I-R-S-T-G-Y-M.com. And click on the podcast tab to look over show notes and extra free resources. You can also give us a follow on Instagram at Team Thirst. That's T-E-A-M period T-H-I-R-S-T or you can give me a follow at B Smitley that's B-S-M-I-T-L-E-Y for more updates on future episodes to come. I'm your host Brandon Smitley and we'll catch you at the next episode.